excited about that. I want to make a declaration of my faith this morning before I get into the message for the day. And uh, I enjoy making these declarations, different subjects, different things, just declaring some things that I know that I believe after many years of walking with the Lord. I believe, according to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, that Jesus defeated Satan at Calvary's cross. The place and the instrument of Satan's defeat is the place of my victory and redemption. As Jesus is now, so am I in this world, according to 1 John 4, 17. His victory is my victory. His righteousness is my righteousness. His standing before the Father is my standing before the Father. And of course, His Father is my Father too. Praise God for the truth of His Word. Amen. I want you this morning, if you will, to open your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter 16. I'm going to talk this morning for a little while about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. I am so grateful for the fullness of the Holy Ghost. I was born again a Baptist, and thank God for the Baptists, as many of you were, and uh, so that's so wonderful. I was truly and thoroughly born again and baptized in water. I was faithful and active in the church as much as a kid could be, and um, then at about age 15, I went to a meeting by, uh, in my grandparents' home church, and they were Pentecostals, and you know the rest of the story, I guess. I uh, got around the creek bank, and I just fell plumb in. And uh, <laughs> you know what plum is? Plum, that's complete. I fell in, and uh, so at about age 15, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And I don't know how you think about all these kinds of things, but from time to time I realize how things could be different if it weren't for certain life events. And I can tell you that I wouldn't be here today talking to you. We would not be gathered here today in this kind of a setting uh, here in this place had it not been for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The new birth is the greatest life changer there is because you're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you're placed into the kingdom of God's dear son. There's no more powerful or important spiritual transaction than when we trade the old life for the new. As one old song says, we lay off the old coat and put on the new and we're made a new creature in Christ. But I am also very glad that God did not just get us born into the kingdom and kind of leave us on our own to struggle through life and make it through as best we can. But he made provisions for there to be an empowerment, an infilling, a supernatural aspect to our Christian life that goes beyond that which we already received. Because the new birth is supernatural and it is a work and operation of the Holy Spirit. But all the while that Jesus was on the earth, and we read about that in the four Gospels, he was looking ahead to the day when he would leave. And it's interesting that in John chapter 16 and verse number 
7. Um, excuse me, Melanie, I know I told you a different verse to start, and we'll get to that one in a moment, but I, I'm going to go here. That in John chapter 16 and verse number 7, Jesus gives us these startling words, really. I mean, you have to put yourself in the place of the disciples that w- were listening to him to really understand how radical this must have been in their thinking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, which of course means profitable. It is expedient for you that I go away. Now this is the Jesus who turned water into wine, who fed thousands with a little boy's lunch, Jesus who stopped funeral procession, Jesus who opened blinded eyes and caused the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak and who cast out devils out of those who were oppressed and bound by the enemy. This same Jesus tells these people who have been closely associated with him, been following him now and seeing all these marvelous works. He basically says in in modern English, you're going to be better off when I'm gone. You got to re- you know, can you imagine how how that they were thinking how in the world could that be possible? How could that happen? It's profitable for you that I go away. And then he gives the reason why he said it. For if I go not away, the comforter, the comforter. And that is uh, a word translated I'm reading from the King James Bible. And that's an accurate translation, but it's not a complete translation of the word. The Greek word is the word paraclete, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-E. And that word means comforter, as you see it here in the King James Bible. You may have a different translation that uses one of these other words, which equally have the same meaning. Uh, as, as, as paraclete. The, there's synonyms, you might say, and definitive words of the, of the Greek word paraclete. So here they are. And there's seven of them. Comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. Comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and stand by. So I don't know how well they grasped what he was saying at that moment. But when we look back at this with 2020 hindsight, we realize Jesus was exactly right. Because the Holy Spirit is not limited to a particular location like Jesus was when he was in a physical body. The Holy Spirit can minister to everybody at once. And Jesus, in the limitations of a physical body, could not do that. The advantages are really amazing and so, so great that would come when the Holy Spirit would come. And so that brings us to verse 13, when Jesus said, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come. And I want to say to you today, He has come. He's come. He's here. We're not begging for him to come. We are not hoping he'll come. We're not wondering if he'll show up. He is here. The Holy Spirit has come. And so I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so we want to look a little bit at him 
Who are, who are we talking about? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is God. He is a divine personality. Just as much God as the Father, just as much God as the Son. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is not an it, not an impersonal force, not some unseen impersonal power. But the Holy Spirit is an actual person, an actual person. And like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. He is omnipresent, meaning everywhere at once. And He is omniscient, meaning He knows everything. The Holy Spirit has always existed, always he wasn't created, but he's God. He's always existed. We see him in the very first chapter of our Bible in Genesis 1 when he was hovering over the waters, <clears throat> the chaotic earth that was there. He was hovering, moving, waiting, but not doing anything other than that until... He heard the word from God the Father. And when God said, let there be light, or in the Hebrew it's really just two words, light be. Immediately, the sun began to shine. Immediately, everything in this world began to change. When God spoke, the Holy Spirit went into action. To bring every word of creation into a physical manifestation. The Holy Spirit, and this is one of the reasons he's so important to us. He is the manifestation of God who gets things done. He does things. And the Holy Spirit doing things is essential for the fulfillment of God's promises. We cannot expect the fulfillment of the great and precious promises of God if we're not willing to allow the Holy Spirit entrance into our life and its circumstances. You cannot be a successful and greatly blessed Christian if you ignore or reject the Holy Spirit and His work. So that's why one of the big debates in the church world today, and it has been now for a long, long time, is the debate over the Spirit of God. Who is He? What does He do? And how does He manifest? And do we really need all those things that some folks like we who are Pentecostals say, is that really necessary? And, and uh, <clears throat> can't God just do it anyway? You know, you have your whole... Uh, uh, sovereignty crowd, you know, that God's basically running, doing everything, and everything that happens, He's willing that it happens. And even, uh, you know, you can be born to go to hell because, you know, if it's not God's will, you'll never be saved. All that crowd, which we don't buy that. I said, we don't buy into that. But I'm saying you've got all these different ideas. But a lot of today's church situation comes down to a misunderstanding 
or an ignorance of, sometimes willful and sometimes not, either a misunderstanding of or an ignorance of the place and the operations of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. And so I'm not going to spend 12 weeks teaching on this this time, but I can tell you that this is extremely important. Your relationship personally with the Holy Spirit. It's not good enough that I have that. You know, I'm an older guy. I'm not, I won't be old until I'm at least 70. I'm late middle midlife. But this late midlife guy, I've been walking with the Lord a long time. And you may think, well, you know, you'd be interested in that because you're closer to the grave than you are the cradle. You know, that, that may be true. But I can tell you that when I found at age 15 the fullness of the Spirit, my life has never been the same. Never been the same. So the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead who does things. And that is essential for the fulfillment of God's promise. When God, I'm sorry, when Jesus the Word walked on the earth, you'll notice if you read carefully in the Gospels, he depended on the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't read a a passage like Luke chapter 4 when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Or a passage like Acts 10.38, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. You can't read those passages without realizing that when Jesus made the willful decision to identify with us, take our place and redeem us, that in that process he would have to take on a body of flesh. He would have to become a man. And you might say, well, please explain that to me. I would if I could. But you or I or no one else we know really fully understands the incarnation, but we believe it. Amen? There are a number of things in this world that you believe, but you can't explain. So just get over it. (laughs) Get over it. We were created by a faith God to to be operative in faith, and he says himself that that's what pleases him. So I've found that if I'm going to be smart, I need to please God. Whatever he wants, it's a yes, sir, I'm not the boss. I'm your servant. To command. And so even Jesus in his physical body would need the anointing and the person of the Holy Spirit operating through him. And that's how he did those miracles. That's how he did all those things I mentioned earlier about raising the dead and casting out devils. That's how he did it. He did it by the anointing and the power and person and presence of the Holy Spirit. So may I make this statement to you today, not to be unkind, but to just try to be as helpful as I can. Would not we be very foolish to think that we don't need the Holy Spirit in his fullness? Now, I know we're saved and the Holy Spirit got us born again and he put us into the body of Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. The baptism of the Spirit, that which the, that baptism the Spirit of God does is the baptism of putting us into, immersing us into the body of Christ, the church. But the Bible speaks in Hebrews chapter 6 of the doctrine of baptisms, plural. And we know one of those, of course, is water baptism, which is an outward testimony of an inward work of grace, signifying the old man has died, the old person has died, and we've been resurrected as a new man or a new woman in Christ, And so that outward testimony, that ritual or rite of baptism is an important 
testimony that we do, and it's out of obedience to Jesus himself that we do it. We're having baptism next weekend. If you haven't signed up and you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. If you're born again, you need to show the world what's happened to you in and through the rite of baptism. But anyway, that's one of the baptisms. The baptism into the body of Christ, that's one of the baptisms. But then there is also that which um, is spoken of in the Word of God about Jesus baptizing us into the Holy Ghost. Amen? You know, that's in there. And uh, so whenever John uh, wrote his epistle, he recorded for us in John, and it's interesting, these are all in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 8. That's John chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 8. He speaks of, it's spoken of that Jesus will baptize us into the Holy Spirit. So that means the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Jesus. That's the new birth. And then the new, and then Jesus, your present now Lord and Savior, baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how does all that work? Well, it just does. The Bible's true. Let me give you a little something to think on if you haven't thought of it already. But in John 20 and verse 22, Jesus said to those disciples who were communicating with him after his resurrection, so they believed. I mean, they're, they're, they're talking to him. They're hearing him. And he says, he breathed on them, the Bible says, and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. They were being born again at that moment. Nobody could get born again until Jesus died and was resurrected. The New Testament process of the new birth is based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so by the point in time that we read of in John chapter 20, he had been uh, killed, he'd been crucified, he'd been buried, he had done everything necessary to pay the penalty that was due to us and to redeem us from the devil and from the curse of the law, and he'd been resurrected and is now supernaturally alive. And so he breathes on him and says, receive the Holy Ghost. And then tells that same group of people, don't go anywhere, don't do anything. You've got a big commission that's going into all the world. That's pretty big. But he says, don't do any of that until you are endued or clothed upon with power from on high. That's Luke 24. Meaning there is something further you need before you go out and try to work for the Lord. And that something else came on the day of Pentecost. Up until this time, the Spirit had not manifested in His fullness through men. But after the new birth occurs and we're made a new creature in Christ Jesus, we become a vessel that the Holy Spirit not only can live inside, but He can fill to overflow and then the power begins to flow out. And then the ministry of Jesus continues through our hands and through our voices. It's just a marvelous and wonderful thing. Amen. So I'm very glad to recommend to you that you need the Holy Spirit in his power and fullness. And obviously Jesus thinks we do as well. And I don't want to disagree with him. Now sometimes Glenn and I disagree. She has a right to be wrong, I guess, if she wants to be, but sometimes we <laughs> just a joke. Uh, sometimes we disagree. Uh, 
But I have found I do not want to disagree with Jesus. Because if we're, let me, let me say that this is a good way to think of this. If you're ever in disagreement with Jesus, you're wrong. Amen. No, no argument. End of story. If I'm ever in disagreement with Jesus, I'm wrong. So I'm very glad that the Holy Spirit has come. Remember John 16, 13, when he is come. I'm glad he has come. And he's come in fullness and he's come in power to indwell believers in Jesus like you and me. So this omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God, the Holy Spirit, is present today and he's working and he's manifesting the will of God. He's getting things done, if you will, anywhere that people will cooperate with him. He actually desires... And you know, I, I, I uh, recently in talking about being led of the Lord and finding the will of God, that Sunday morning series we did, I don't know why, but I hadn't ever really seen it as clearly as I can now, and I'm very grateful for it. But just to, just to interchange the word will, like the will of God, with desire. Because that's part of what the will, that's part of what will is. It's the desire. And somehow or another, for me, at this stage in my life, I think about the will of God as the desire of God that kind of gives it a different perspective. This is something God wants. It's not just something he demands, though that may be a case in some situations. You just, you must do it, but to think he desires it. And there's a reason why he would desire it. And, and so it is with the Holy Spirit. He desires that you and I would be uh, manifesting uh, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit today. And so uh, the Holy Spirit comes to, to indwell us and to be the all-sufficient paraclete. Remember that word we said earlier, John 16, 7? The all-sufficient comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, strengthener, intercessor, and standby. And basically, here's, here's a good way to think about that. All that Jesus was to those disciples, those same disciples, he told them, it's going to be better if I go. And we think about what a wonderful blessing it would have been to have walked with Jesus in those days. And Jesus could say to us today that all that he was to those disciples is what the Holy Spirit wants to be to you today. No less. No less. Not a cheaper version. Not a knockoff. No, no, no. All that Jesus was to his disciples, the Holy Spirit wants to be to you today. He has been given... He has come, so what is for us to do but to receive him and receive his fullness and then live and walk with him. Now, it just so happens, and this might be an inconvenient point for some, but it certainly isn't for us, but it just so happens that when believers were filled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, they began to speak with other tongues. And you know, when you get right down to it, there's the, there's the dig. There's the rub. I remember a lady years ago told my mother, I would like to have what you have, but I don't want to speak in tongues. That'd be like me saying, I want these shoes, but I don't want the tongue. The tongue in the shoe is pretty important. I know that's a crude illustration. But the point is, that goes with it. 
And it's funny, isn't it, how that people before they receive, not, not everybody, but a number of people before they receive, they have such a problem with it. But once you are filled with the Spirit and you speak with other tongues, you don't have a problem with it anymore. Have you noticed that? They had no more problems about it because you've experienced the reality of the language of heaven, the language of the Spirit, that Spirit-to-Spirit direct communication that actually bypasses your head, bypasses your brain with all the squirrely thoughts that all of us have and all of our lack of knowledge and ignorance, and and I don't mean stupidity, but I'm just saying things we don't know, and gives us the ability to pray through, (coughs) excuse me, to pray through into the very presence of God in such a way that we pray beyond ourselves. You pray beyond yourself. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, but I, I need to pray beyond myself. I'm very limited. Very, very limited. And uh, this whole process of being filled with the Spirit, and they, they were filled and began to speak, that hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, the New Testament was written by people who spoke in tongues. And it was written to people in their, that particular day that it would be common and expected that they too would speak in tongues. It would be funny if it wasn't so sad to hear people try to take the teachings of Paul, a man who said in 1 Corinthians fourteen fifteen, I speak in tongues more than you all. And try to take his teachings to prove to you why you don't need to speak in tongues. That'd be like telling, you know, telling somebody that Chef Boyardee doesn't believe in spaghetti. <laughs> Some of you, are, I can see more of you know about Chef Boyardee than I thought. I, I thought maybe I was going to date myself completely out of the picture. No, the New Testament was written by tongues speakers. Two tongues speakers. Peter was there on the day of Pentecost. You read his epistles. Paul was, was filled with the Holy Spirit and said that he spoke in tongues even more than the Corinthians. And if you spoke in tongues more than the Corinthians, you were getting with it. You were doing a lot of it. Now, I want to make a couple of statements that's, that's important, I think, here before we move on. And I'm not going to hold you all day. My message is pretty simple, really, but, but these things need to be said. And it'll help you understand where we are as a church, I think, too. Here we go. If church leadership rejects or limits the potential of the Holy Spirit, then if they expect growth, if they expect a continuous flow of people among them, but they reject or limit the work and the moving and the person of the Holy Spirit, then they're going to have to make up for the lack of the Holy Spirit in some other way. And the way that that's done in today's world, especially in the American church, is through fleshly and carnal ways. Now, don't use those words to say that necessarily it's sinful, but what I mean by that is it's not spiritual. And that's why you have churches that are, as we say in ministry, they're program-driven. They're not spirit-driven. They're not really word-driven. They are program-driven. And their emphasis is greatly on social activities and programs and schedules and getting everybody just even more busy than they already are. 
and to take the place of certain social uh, institutions and certain entertainment type of institutions and, uh, you know, just try to be all to everybody all the time. And I don't know how familiar you are or how well you know any preachers, but I can tell you that if you get caught up in that in ministry, it is a never-ending taxing business. It is a heavy burden to try to be the Holy Ghost's replacement. I want to say today publicly, no matter how many people ever show up or how many people don't ever show up, and no matter what is done or not done in the future, I can tell you this, I'm a minister, I'm a pastor, I'm not a cruise director. I'm not an events coordinator. I am not a recreation planner. I thank God for recreation. I like events, especially the ones that have food. I like all of that stuff like anybody else. But church is not a social club. Church is not just a community activity center. And church is not a spectator event like a basketball game or a football game. It's not entertainment. It's not just some place to dump the kids for a couple of hours so that somebody else will watch them free. But I want to tell you what it is. Are you ready for that? Say, thank God he got off that rant. Let's go to something else. (laughs) Church is a corporate meeting of the body of Christ. That's what a local church is about. It is a microcosm of the greater macrocosm we call the church worldwide. Some of the family in earth and even some of them are already in heaven. A local church is just a miniature or a microcosm of that great body. So when we gather, it is a corporate or a gathering, a community, one gathering of the body of Christ. It is a place of meeting with God. I would never go to a church where God didn't show up. I know He's in me, and if I go, He'll go with me. I know that. He said He would never leave me. But what I mean by God showing up is His presence, His glory. I'm talking about the tangible anointing. I'm talking about the power that gets things done. I would never attend a church where that doesn't happen. I don't care how many family members went there. I don't care how many friends went there. I don't care how many acquaintances went there, how many business associates went there. I don't care how many people are there that are potential clients or, quote, connections. Because church, pardon the grammar, it ain't about that. It's about a meeting with God. So it's a place of meeting with God in worship. So that's why we worship. And I know Pentecostal worship is kind of wild and kind of loud. But we can't contain our excitement. (laughs) Hallelujah! Amen. The Holy Ghost will make folks that are in late midlife run. It'll make you dance. It'll make you shout. It's fun to go to a spirit-filled meeting. It's a place of meeting with God in worship. It's a place of serving. 
There's something about service in the house of the Lord. I'll just poke this in here for a moment or two. Won't take long, won't hurt. But there is something about personal service in the house of God that will cause the rest of your week and the rest of your business to go better. We have folks here that serve that theoretically they could probably hire somebody to serve for them. But you don't get the blessing out of what the other person does. You get the blessing out of what you do. I remember being in a meeting years ago, and I remember this man was there. And I remember later on finding out, you know, he was an usher. He was, he was serving as an usher in these meetings, and there were hundreds of people there. So these ushers were busy people, lots of people being ministered to. And I found out later, this guy's a millionaire. But when he came to church, he was a servant. So maybe the way to being a millionaire is not just another connection out at uh, the coffee shop. It may be getting yourself here early enough to serve in the house of God. Oh, glory. Could have went all day without saying that, but I, I need to. The church is a place of meeting with God in worship and service. And this is important as well. It is a place to hear from God. Through his word and through the gifts of the spirit. I would not want to go to a church where people would not teach me the word. Including giving, marriage, honesty, integrity, forgiveness, moral standards. I would not go to a church that didn't teach those things. I would not want to go to a church where the gifts of the spirit were not welcome. And while I'm at it, we might as well sweep the whole floor clean. I'm not going to a church where they say they believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but they've got to be down the back hall somewhere where nobody really sees or knows anything about it unless you go find it. If the Holy Ghost cannot stop a service here, then we're not a Holy Ghost church. If he can't change the order of business, including the pastor's message, then we're not being led by the Holy Ghost. And so... When we think about our pattern, I don't think about some seminar that cost me a couple thousand dollars to go to and and sit and listen to somebody tell me all the programs they have and how that if I'll just do what they did, probably I'll have some success. No, my pattern, I realize, and I, I don't mean by that that we don't have mentors and that we don't learn from others, but my main pattern is right here. The book of Acts, the New Testament epistles, that tells us how to have church. That tells us about the move of God. And my brother and sister, when I read those, I cannot come away. And I'm not the most educated person in the world. But even with my limited knowledge, I cannot read this without knowing that the church is a supernatural body. It is a people empowered by the Holy Ghost. And that's how we get things done. And that's how we accomplish our purpose. Church is a supernatural event. Even on a Wednesday night, the intent by God is that church is a supernatural event for which there is no substitute. Now, we have lots of meetings around here, team meetings, lots of wonderful involved people. Many people serve here. I don't want want you to get the wrong impression of what I said a while ago. We have lots of great people serving. 
And, and so a lot of those meetings are wonderful meetings, and they have a social aspect. Many of them will have a food aspect. We're for all of that. That's wonderful. But there's no substitute for the move of God in our midst. That's what church is about. And uh, I would drive. I'd drive an hour if that's what it took. I'd drive probably half that or more right now. But a church that's alive is worth the drive. You know, um, you know, there's a few, few decent, nice restaurants in Lynchburg. There's some I wish would come. Maybe we should use our faith to believe in a few of those. But, but I can tell you this. I can get to McDonald's quicker than I can get to some of the nicer places. But I don't really know how long it's been since I've been inside of McDonald's. It's not my favorite place. How about you? I mean, some of that stuff I could eat, but I would come in here much bigger. It's not very good for you. So anyway, my point is I will drive past there. Let me give you another example. Let's say that, you know, you're working your job, whatever your profession is. And all of a sudden you go by and the sign is up. Again, we'll use McDonald's since we're picking on somebody. Let's just pick on McDonald's again. And there's a sign up there that says, now hiring. Apply, you know, online. And you've got a job making $150,000 a year. Are you going to apply? No. But McDonald's is two miles from home. My hundred and fifty grand. it takes me 40 minutes to get across town and get all the way to work. You know what we know about you? You're going to drive 40 minutes. And you may fuss and you may complain and you may dread it on Sunday night thinking I got to face that Monday morning. But you're going to do it. Why? Because the benefits are so much better than going two miles and flipping a burger. And I'm not against flipping burgers. I'm glad somebody does it. My grandkids are very glad. Amen. But... uh, Church is a supernatural event for which there is no substitute. So I want to close with these thoughts. Notice how slick that was. I want to close with these thoughts. <laughs> oh, y'all ministers, you can learn that. Put that in your notes. Having said all that we've said, and we've said a lot, I guess, it's important to know individually that the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. He wants to fill you to overflow and provide the power necessary for you to live a spirit-filled life, which is a supernatural lifestyle. So whatever you work at, whatever you do, and uh, all the people you meet and deal with, he wants you to bring into those situations the, the touch of the supernatural. Now, obviously, this begins with the new birth. Being born of the Spirit of God is the first step. And as we said earlier, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, that's when the Holy Spirit puts you into the body of Christ. But also, Jesus wants to baptize or immerse us into the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Matthew 3, 11, Mark chapter 1 and verse 8, and Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. We know that Jesus said in Acts 1, 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
We know that Jesus said that to people that already believed he was risen from the dead, people he had already breathed upon and they had received the Holy Spirit in the new birth in their life. He said, you need to tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Now, we're not encouraging you to tarry for the Spirit today because they were tarrying, waiting on him to come initially. Well, he's come when he has come. But what I am encouraging you to do is to receive. Jesus wants to immerse you into the Holy Spirit. This marvelous gift, after being born again, the best thing that ever happened to me in my life, this marvelous gift is available to you today. Please wake up there. Stop that snoring. This marvelous gift is available to you today. And it's yours to receive. To receive. You don't have to work for it. You can't earn it. But you have to receive it. So will you take it? That's my question to you today and to all those who will watch this program. Will you receive? Will you take what God offers? Now, I mentioned that the Holy Spirit has come. And that means he's here. And he's here in this room today. So if you've never been baptized in the Spirit and spoken in other tongues, this is your day. Aren't you glad? This is your day. Now, don't seek tongues. Seek the fullness of the Spirit. The tongues will then flow. Seek the fullness of the Spirit. And then whatever comes to you from within, you just speak that out. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a decision to do so. God's not going to make you. Demons drive, devils drive and try to control people, but the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And so you'll have to speak out, and it's not going to make sense to your head. That's why they call it unknown tongues. It's not unknown to God, of course, but it's unknown to the speaker. And when you do so, there are many wonderful things that happen, and that's another message for another day, but we preached on it many times, the benefits of praying in the Spirit. It's the greatest benefit of, of all the Spirit-filled experience to me is the ability to communicate with God in other tongues. I think about one of our mentors in the faith who's gone on now to be with the Lord some 20 plus years ago, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, and how that um, uh, he made the statement that some of the greatest manifestations of the Spirit that he ever experienced in his life came after extended periods of praying in other tongues. Some of the greatest financial miracles and other kinds of manifestation after extended periods of time praying in other tongues. Well, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is opening the door to let that happen in your life. No wonder the devil fights it so hard because it is so powerful and so profitable in our lives. Now I want to say this and, and we're going to move on. Sometimes people come into services like this or a church like this and they think, well, do I have to do all that you all do? Do I even have to speak in tongues? Do I have to do that to go to heaven? No, you don't have to. You know, if you're born again, you're going to go to heaven. If you never shout loudly, if you never run around the building, if you never speak in tongues. But if, again, if, you're going to live on the earth for any length of time and you're going to accomplish the goals and the dreams that God has placed in your heart, which are bigger than you and are going to take 
supernatural blessings to accomplish. If that's ever going to happen, then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to be freely expressing that. So this morning, in just a moment, they're going to play some music. And I'd 